to the truth in this heart. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I'm excited to welcome my next guest, a multi-instrumentalist from Baltimore, Maryland. And from the age of three, he was trained on the vibraphone, drums, and piano under the guidance of his father. Please welcome Warren Wolf Jr. Welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to have. Pleasure to be here. Very cool. <laughs> I appreciate it, bro. Thank you for coming on. And um I want to start off with sort of the 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 introductory question, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, people want to know like how'd you get started and all of this stuff. So I want to like ask you about like your background, where'd you grow up? Because you know, I see Baltimore, you know, yep. but we get we get real regional. We get high school level. So I mean, you know how it goes. I want the city for context. You want it, uh, you want it all. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll take you all the way back. It's cool. So I was born in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, off in, in the Druid Hill area, off of uh, White Lock. Okay. There's a street called Francis Street. But I don't know anything about that because apparently we only lived there for three months. <laughs> right after that, my parents and my, I have two older sisters. We moved to uh, Edmondson Village. Mm. Living on a street called Mount Holly Street. And uh, I was, pr- we were pretty much, I was born in 1979, November of 79. Uh, we were pretty much there to my knowledge from 1980 all the way up until 1991 or 92. Mm. Um, I'll let you continue from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, no, I appreciate that. So, you know, like definitely for me, uh, you know, Baltimore as well. Uh, mm-hmm. in, not in the mid eighties, eighty five. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, even even though I'm I'm told I'm told I look like I'm young, then I'm told I look like I'm old, and I'm like, look, I'm just I'm just trying to exist in this universe. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. I had someone tell me it's like, yeah, you look young till you get to your hairline. I was like, this is spicy. This <laughs> exactly. is real spicy. <laughs> so. Talk, talk about like because obviously you're a musician so talk about like you know some of your early like creative influences that maybe aren't music related um and so we were absolutely talk about music but i want, I want to get some of that that context um early influences when it comes just in general no just in, music. yeah just in general not necessarily music but just in general i don't recall i don't recall really having any early influences because i mean i was just a typical kid man you know yeah. Growing up in the hood, uh, but you know it was actually really cool around that time because in my in my neighborhood there was a lot of kids my age and some of my sister's age, but we were all like just a big family. You know, we all just hung out all the time. Um, my elementary school is called Lindhurst Elementary. It was no more than two blocks away, so all the kids went there. And then when we came home, you know, again early eighties, man, we were. Unlike a lot of kids today, we were playing outside very often, yeah. you know, um, behind our house, we had three alleys. So we, st- me and my sister still talk, one of my, the, the youngest of the sisters, I'm the baby, but we talk about this all the time. We used to call it the first alley, the uh, first alley, middle, middle alley, and the, and, the, and the third alley. It's like just kids used to be running around there, uh, you know, just playing flips on dirty mattresses, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we would cut the bottom, cut the bottom of uh, uh, milk crates out and nail them to the uh, uh, a light post, and that was our basketball hoop because the park was kind of far for us to walk. Yeah. Matter of fact, I even went back to that old neighborhood. I was, I mean, I go, I still have some friends over there, yeah. but I went back to that old neighborhood maybe a, a few months ago, and I walked down that same alley that I'm talking about, 
And uh, I looked at that that light post and I kind of got emotional because I was like, all of these nails that we put up there from the 80s are still there. You know what I mean? So um, these same alleys that we played in, that we used to play uh, tag football, you know, again, I was just a normal kid, man. We we used to play, just hang out and all that good stuff. Um, My parents were very much there for me and my sisters. But um, with my dad being so militant Mm. and unlike a lot of the kids in my neighborhood, and I'm not going to say this about every one of them, but for the most of them, they didn't have any like any goals Mm. in life, you know, at least not until much later. Most most of the kids I grew up with, you know, they they were just straight gangbangers. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, So. My father was in the Vietnam War, um, but he was a once he got out of there, which is early seventies. You know, he he struggled like most most Black Americans who came out the war. Yeah, and, uh, he tried to figure it out. So that's when he went back to school, and he went to Morgan State and Coppin State. And I, I want to say University of Maryland, College Park, but I don't. That's not coming ringing a bell for some reason. I just want to say Morgan State and Coppin, yeah. and he got his history degree. Nice uh, and education. My mother, she worked at a Baltimore gas and electric company. And my father has always been into music. Mm. So his father, his name is uh, my grandfather, James Wolf, was a local pianist who played in the Baltimore area in the uh, 40s and 50s, maybe 60s and stuff like that. Um, So and, and my dad came from a pretty big family. He has it was a long Including him, it was six boys, uh, you know, my uncles, and five girls. So my father, 11 children total that my, that my grandparents had. Yeah. He's on my dad's side. So my father always wanted to play because he used to see his, his uh, dad jamming with his friends. Yeah. But his father never taught him. So my father, being the historian, the person that he was, he was like, you know what? I'm going to just go read these books and just he was a big fan of music. So um, my oldest sister was born uh, in December of 70. Uh, He actually had to, he came home. He was in Vietnam for two years. Mm -hmm. He had a break. They gave him a break to come home. He came home in March. I think he went in 69. He came home in March of 1970 for a month. Married uh, Married my mother. She got pregnant. Then he had to go back. I mean, I'm, he- I'm hearing similarities. My dad's a vet. I have yeah, a sister yeah. that's 13 years older than me. That was born in 72. Okay, <laughs> you yeah. know? That's the same I mean, it, it was a regular kid, you know, playing in East Baltimore. We had the um, we lived in Lafayette Projects. And, okay. you know, so we would like try to make that whole area our like play areas like, oh, let's let's um, we, we didn't have nails. We would take, you know, the zip ties. Mm-hmm. He would mount the zip ties with the uh, crates after we cut the bottoms out to the yep. fence. That's <laughs> that's the jankiness we were on. And, um, but but definitely, you know, I think that sort of regimented thing, the the, you know, uh, going into to Vietnam and all of that stuff, it definitely transfers over to to the kids as to. There was structure in our house of you're going to get up at this time. This is what we're going to do. This is what the setup is. Definitely. Whereas kids that I, you know, maybe was hanging out with, I was playing with, 
It's just mm-hmm. like they may not have been doing that same thing. They may not have had it like a dad around or anything along those lines. So, but yeah. I will say this, I think some of the early stuff and what I'm doing now and doing interviews and facilitating storytelling and such, I always had a little bit of a knack for that when I was a kid, you know, of like telling people about, Hey man, you seen this movie? And then going through the whole thing, being mm-hmm. one of those kids. Yep, yep. And, I, and I think a part of that comes from like the, the movies that my dad was into. Um, I always go back and look at these terrible like action movies, like Van Damme movies or some movie <laughs> with that, that in it. And he's like, yeah, this is a good one. And that's where my movie sensibilities come from. So, so my understanding is you're, you're growing up super young, like I think three, right. And you know, your dad was just teaching you a bit of music. What, tell me about that. Yeah. Cause he, I think somewhere right before I was born, cause since, since his father didn't teach him, he just became a fan of like percussion, just of music. Mm-hmm. So I was born in 79. Like I said, my sister was oldest was born in 70. My other sister was born in 74. Then I came along in 79. And um, I think right around this time, because my dad was a huge fan of um, Rory Ayers yeah. and Bobby Hutchison. You know, Rory was, Rory was, he was a definitely a straight ahead jazz vibraphonist, but he has since switched over to more like, you know, mainstream in the 70s. And then Bobby Hutchinson was just another favorite of his. So off of that note, he just randomly bought a vibraphone. I have no idea why. I could have bought a saxophone, trumpet, whatever. But he randomly bought a vibraphone. So I came along and he started giving me lessons because I guess he wanted me to have, you know, I mean, you know, different times back then. You know, a lot of uh, fathers, they had, again, they had a goal for their I mean, it, this is his words. He was like, yeah, I know I got two daughters, but this is my son. <laughs> so he had a goal for me. You're going to play. Now, what I've actually wanted to do yeah. um, coming up as a kid, it wasn't actually sports. A lot of people think that, you know, they seem they're like, you must play football or something because of my size. I was like, nah, I actually wanted to work for NASA. Again, I'm hearing similarities. I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid. I'm six four, and they were like, "Yeah, you big for nothing." I was like, "Look, I wanted yeah. to do this." <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to be at work for NASA, and if that didn't work out, I wanted to work for the fire department. Mm-hmm. Those are like my two things. But my dad was like, "No, you're going to stick with this music." So, you know, um, he started giving me formal lessons at the age of three. So, pretty much, my daily schedule was this: I would walk again. Early ages, kind of safer in the neighborhood a little bit. I could walk to school. School was only two blocks. Right. Uh, walk to school, not kindergarten, because kindergarten for me was only half a day. I went there from like eight to twelve or something like that. But um, once first grade came around, school was pretty much like eight to three o'clock. Yeah. You know, my parents was like, "Come on home," because my mom didn't get off work until four and. Pops didn't get off until three, but he had to drive back because he, I think at the time he was working at the old Northern high school mm-hmm. um, over there on the East side. And then my sisters, they were coming from Western high school, whatever else, whatever. It was far. So yeah. my, my, this was the rule. Go home, open the door, close the, close the door, go on and just go upstairs and do what you want to do. And I was a pretty cool kid. You know, we, this is when Nintendo had just came out. So I would just go up there. I would be playing that. So by the time everybody got home, this was the schedule. It's like I had two hours, maybe an hour and a half to watch TV, play video games. It was time to go in that basement to start practicing. Mm-hmm. At three years old. Now I'm playing multiple instruments. My dad was like, okay, you're going to play 
vibraphone slash marimba, same thing, kind of just you know, different uh, wood structures and metal. Um, so we're gonna do 30 minutes on that, we're gonna do 30 minutes on the actual drum set or snare drum studies, then mm-hmm. we're gonna do another 30 minutes on uh, on piano. And then after that, so that was 5 30, that went into seven o'clock. Um, and then after that, I had to you know, do homework, eat dinner, get ready for the next day. But that practice schedule right there was five days a week from the age of three until 18. Wow. Wow. Summer times, summer times, summertime, we doubled that. So we would, I would, um, actually, I, I got to throw this in there too. In order for me to get a better understanding of the instrument, not just playing the soloing and stuff like that, yeah. um, I started taking classical lessons. Mm. So my dad enrolled me at um, uh, John Hopkins uh, at Peabody Preparatory. Yeah. So my mom would drive me down there every Saturday. She would wait in the, in the in the room for me, and I studied with this guy. The first guy, his name was uh, Leo LePage. He's now deceased, but he was a member of the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra for many years. Mm-hmm. He was also a jazz drummer because uh, before he moved, he came to Baltimore. He lived in Boston, so he played jazz a little bit, but his main thing was classical. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise that I had this guy and my father, you know, teaching me both. So, again, practice schedule, five days a week, at least on the school year, 530 to 7 o'clock. And then Saturday mornings, I would go down to Peabody and take another, you know, private lesson every Saturday um, for one hour. Sundays was off, at least from what I remember. Maybe Sundays we did practice, but I recall Sundays being off. Summertime, because I, I I don't think I took lessons at Peabody during the summer, so my father doubled the practice. So we would practice now from one until two thirty, and then I go outside play with my friends again, basketball, all that good stuff. <laughs> from uh, say two thirty until uh, five, yeah. come back in the house. Time to practice one more time. Eat dinner, bed, do it again the next day. I mean, that is that's a that's a schedule. I think that kind of builds up that. That's that strength, that that sort of that that memory, that muscle, that creative muscle, if you will. So going from sort of like being a shorty with the milk crates and and, and doing the, the, rig- the rigorous schedule. Tell me about like what that first gig was like, you know, like to set that stage for us. First gig was at uh, five years old. Um, I played at the. The Waxter Center for the for senior citizens downtown, which that building is still there. I think it's still called the Waxter Center. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> Cathedral Street, right, right close to the School for the Arts. Um knowing my father and just because I was so young, five years old, um, I probably played like little tiny stuff. You know, yeah. just like uh like the minuet in G is by Mozart beat. You know, something like that. Um, I probably played that on the bells. You know, the bells is like the instrument that most kids get in elementary school. It's, it's only like maybe uh, three feet wide, <laughs> three feet long. Um, I probably played it on that. Probably had a, maybe had a drum set. I don't know, man. When I look back at, at a lot of this stuff, um, Especially like just, you know, my father, I mean, he did everything. I mean, it's just looking, you know, thinking about how, how hectic a school teacher is. Mm-hmm. 
and he came out, you know, when it's time for me to perform, he would break down all these instruments, load them in the car and play. But I think that was the first gig. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was like one of the first gigs that I ever did. Something just small. Like introducing Warren Wolf and you play like 10 to 15 minutes. Um, but my career was really mainly headed into the classical world. Yeah, yeah. I, playing jazz was not just jazz, popular music, I should say. That was just, it was hard. Yeah. So I know, I know you probably got a question, but I just want to just go no, on please. this. Like I said, my father played as well. Yeah. well. He had a band that used to come over to the house on every Saturday and they would rehearse. So I used to, when I was home, like when I was, sometimes if I didn't go out so outside, whatever, I would just be in the house playing with my sisters or, you know, getting ready for dinner with my mom. But you could hear that music clearly coming out of the basement. And since this is the 80s, yeah. they were playing um, Anita Baker music, like that whole record, Sweet Love. Grover Washington, um, Spiral Gyro, Yellow Jackets, all these contemporary things. They wasn't just jazz, jazz, jazz. The oh. only bit of jazz they probably might have played could have been something by by Miles Davis, like one of like like So What, you know, a song like that. Yeah, I used to just hear them all the time. Like, man, they sound good. So I would just go downstairs on the bottom of the step and I would just sit there and listen, you know. But I had no idea about improv. But I I could play some classical, you know that that skill was was just coming up. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was my first gig, and then you know I I started I just kept on with these lessons at Peabody, and then I, you know I probably did, I know I did a couple more gigs after that, but I'm, I'll stop after I say this. So really, what happened? The Baltimore Symphony asked me if I could be a part of this this piece um, called the Pod Piper Fantasy. Mm-hmm. So most people have probably never heard of that, but I'm, I'm going to make a comparison right now. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to go and say it anyway. So most people, <laughs> most people probably would know or hear that term because they're going to associate it with R. Kelly. <laughs> go on. <laughs> I'm going to say that because it, I mean, it kind of makes sense though, you know, cause they always say, Oh, R. Kelly, he called himself the Pop Piper. You know what the Pop Piper is? And I'd be like, Yeah, I actually do, because I was one of those kids in the Pop Piper fantasy with the Baltimore Symphony. Yep. So for those <laughs> listeners on here who don't know what the Pop Piper is and how they relate it to R. Kelly, but what the true story is, the true story is the Pod Piper of Hamlin. Um this town was infested with rats. And they the, the people wanted to get rid of the rats. So they called the piper in um, to play this melody as yeah. it relates to Kelly. Come sing this song. But <laughs> they they called the piper in to play this melody. And what happened, what happened is once he plays this melody, um, all the rats will disappear. Mm. Now, that when it came time to pay the piper, they didn't feel like paying him. Oh, so he played another tune, which took all the kids away. R. Kelly. <laughs> oh snap! Now I'm not saying anything about R. Kelly. I'm not trying to get into that conversation, but that, <laughs> that's why you know where they get that from. But that that was the the thing that we went on tour with the Baltimore Symphony. So I was one of the kids. It was me and like ten other kids. We we played like field drum, like a, it's a huge snare drum. Yeah. Uh, we, we look like little marching bands. I had on these like shorts with suspenders and a white shirt. We had a hat with a feather and we all came on stage and we 
with this uh, famous flautist named flautist named by the name of James Galway, and he played this tune while we uh, like we marched onto the stage from from the uh, from the lobby while the symphony was playing. Um, he played this tune. We played our little thing on the drums, and then eventually James Galway walked off of stage while all of us followed behind him. So that was our part with the Baltimore Symphony. We went on tour with that. I think I was maybe six years old. We did that tour for about two weeks. Yeah, I played, and I'm again, I'm six years old. I don't really know where we're playing at and how prestigious these halls are. We played Boston Symphony Hall. We played Carnegie Hall in New York. We played Richmond Symphony Hall, you know, Richmond, Virginia. We played a couple other places. We definitely played the Meyerhoff. And again, I'm just like, cool, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm, staying, I'm staying in hotels with my mother. Like, nice, it's, we're not home. I get to stay in these fancy places. Yeah. Uh, that was the first like real tour. That's that's dope. Thank you. Thank you for uh, taking us back. Um, so I, I want to, uh, since, since we were kind of talking about the um, routine a little bit, uh, you know, like the past routine, can you tell us, describe us your like sort of current routine, whether it's in like, you know, the writing phase, whether it's in like the practice phase, tell us about like that, what you're doing, like, like currently. As far as practicing goes or just in general, my routine? Um, yeah, your routine in general. Well, it's kind of kind of different now because I mean life happens. So right now I'm I'm married. I have my two kids at home. They're only eight and six. Mm. So I I have to try to balance. Uh, I mean they always come first, but I have to do the other things as well. So I'm currently a teacher at Peabody Conservatory in the jazz department. I've been there for about five years. I also teach at San Francisco Conservatory in California. So managing, well, I mean it's not like I'm going out there all the time, but still I have both of those jobs as well as, um, you know, still being a husband and dad. And then when I'm normally by the time they go to bed, like, like, for instance, when this is over, <laughs> I usually go into my, my little, my studio room and, you know, a number of things can happen in there. I'll practice, uh, uh vibes a little bit. Maybe I'll just tinker around on the keyboard. Um, definitely not the drums. Uh, I mean, maybe a practice pad, yeah. um, or I'll just start like composing, you know, which is I like making a lot of videos that I like to upload on YouTube because, you know, things have changed on, on the business side. Sure. Uh, you know, having video and content, you know, I, I think you can never have enough of that because people want to see stuff a lot nowadays. So um, I spend a lot of time like making music videos yeah. right, right in my basement a lot of time. And that's something that started just uh around right when COVID started. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll say like this kind of, you know, took off during that time where, you know, early on, you may find this interesting being a Baltimore guy, being a creative from here and artist from here. And, you know, just early on, I was unable to get any guests. And then mm -hmm. I had this sort of challenge of, you know, from one of my friends, I'd be surprised if you could find 20 interesting people here. Mm -hmm. I was like, really in the whole city? It's like, word. And, you know, once COVID was, you know, there and people were home and locked down, then it's just interview at the interview at the interview. I was like, oh, okay, now and just keeping up with it. And so, yeah. And I think during that time, I was able to kind of play, experiment, f figure out like, who am I influenced by? Like, I'd been podcasting for 10 years at that point, you know, mm -hmm. or 11 years at that point. And, you know, when I was trying to like really figure out what was my voice, what I wanted to do, how do I want to approach it? I had to think of like, who was I going to be influenced by? Who's I going to steal from? 
So yeah. I'll ask the question to you in this concept of, of theft, right? <laughs> Creative theft. Uh, mm-hmm. Who who do you steal from? Like whether it's, you know, where a person maybe crafts a song, where a person maybe composes, where a person maybe holds their instrument or have you. Tell me about like some of those like influences that show up in your work now. It's a lot. Um, I mean, musically speaking, I, mean, I got a couple of different things I can I can address that question. Please. Uh, definitely. Um, music wise, let's see. When it comes to like just straight playing solo wise, I, I I still from definitely like the masters like I love uh, and it's just not related to my instrument, but I love like Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, um, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, um, people of that nature. Even a lot of artists today like like Terrence Blanchard, Wynton Marsalis, uh, people like that. Um, but then the promoting side, yeah, uh, I look at it. You know, I mean, I should have named, I should not have named this jazz artists because I love R&B and stuff like that. I look at artists like like uh, Stokely from Main Condition uh, to a certain degree, Beyonce. And I'm only saying that because I'm looking at all, all this stuff like on a promotional business side, like how do people market themselves nowadays? That's yeah. a whole nother thing now because matter of fact, right before I just got on this call, I was asking people, you know, is uh, websites, is that still a main, a major source for people? Or, or is everything just social media? So I'm, I'm looking at, you know, people's uh, ideas about how they create content nowadays. That's me stealing ideas from them to bring it over to jazz because a lot of folks in jazz, we still have this mentality. Like once we create a record, we just get reviewed and we sell CDs. I'm like, no, that's I don't think that's how it's done too much it's anymore. different thing now. <laughs> you can still do it a little bit depending on where you're going, but it's, it's totally different now, you know. Um, Composition-wise, uh I, Maybe Pat Metheny, I listen to it. I listen to him. Um, uh, it's, it's funny. I, I discover a lot of new music nowadays because me and my wife are very active, like health health people. Mm-hmm. So um, we, I have a the Peloton uh, bike and treadmill in in my in my workout room. So usually on there, I can always depend on what I'm doing. Say if I'm doing a 20 minute bike ride, I have the option to pick 20 minute pop ride. Or jazz ride, or well, not jazz. They definitely don't have that on there so much. But <laughs> minute pop ride, twenty minute hip hop, R and B, or Disney ride, or something like that. And when I'm riding, you know, twenty or thirty minutes to this, to you know, when I exercise, all this new music comes up, and I'm always like, wow, what's that? What's that? What's that? You know, so I just hear this, these different things. So you know, I try to steal as much as I can. You know, not anything particular. If I hear it and if I see it, I like it. I'm gonna just try to grab it and incorporate uh, with what I'm doing. Uh, you know, your mileage may vary, you know, take uh, the pieces of it that you want and okay. that you find interesting and the rest of them say, yeah, this, you know, go back. That's for you. That's good. That's great. You know, I'm going to use this. And <clears throat> as, as a person that like, I, I'll say like, there was this shift at one point and, and I like that you said you discover music that way. Like, I, cause I, I read about you being a bit of a gym rat. I read that somewhere and I was like, all right, this guy. And, uh, I find that. I'll dive into old music and discovering it, especially when I'm in the gym. It's like, oh, let me just do enhance on Spotify and just let it do its thing. And yeah. but when I was when I was younger, I want to say I would get on like pigeons and planes and these different platforms to try to find something. Mm-hmm. I'll say this: the only records, because I got into this recently, the only records that I have in my home, I think I had like eight records in my home. The rest of it is everything is just digital, and it's really. You know, when we're in this space of, you know, how many tangible things we're going to have because we have a limited amount of space, you really like those things if you have the tangible copy of it. You know what I mean? Definitely. 
the majority of the jazz records. <laughs> I have like three Charles Mangus records because one, I feel like I, I have a podcast sensibility. It's like I'll yell at somebody on you know on the stage. I feel like I have that vibe. Um, but that's that's the way I kind of discover it. And I find that I could just put one of those records on and just vibe out. Whereas yeah. it's music that like, what is it? Uh black, uh, black uh saint and center lady. That's that's an album from like the 60s. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this is great, this is crisp. And I'm not even like checking to skip it. I'm just like letting it roll. Whereas now when I encounter something that this is this is kind of cool, it slaps, it feels disposable. It doesn't make me want to come and look for it. It's just like, all right, cool. That syncs up really well with a video, some highlights from Lamar or something. That's really cool. I'm gonna keep it rolling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about in that vein of like music, maybe from the past that has some influence. Let's talk a little bit about, I think it's your most recent album, right? Reincarnation? Yes. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, what does it reveal about you? I'm, I'm hearing, you know, there's some influences from the 90s, from your, you know, your, your the, the this phase of growing up and all of that. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, man. So, you know, coming from my college, I went to Berkeley, College of Music in Boston. I was pretty much, I mean, I've always been a fan of like just R&B and hip hop, always. Coming from my two sisters. And being a 90s kid, like, you know, being in high school, well, middle school and high school in the 90s, you know, I just love that stuff. I feel like that's some of the greatest music being, you know, made. I mean, a lot of stuff today, I, some of it I like, I'm, other stuff, I'm like, what? What, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I decided I wanted to do something completely different. You know, it's all about change. You know, my first, I think, I'm, I'm coming out with album number 10 very soon. So number, I think around number seven, I realized that a lot of the records I've done were pretty much in the straight ahead jazz vein. Now they were all still like different concepts. You know, one was different from the other. Nothing was ever the same. You know, like my first record on this label called Mac Avenue, Warren, it's just titled Warren Wolf. That record was basically, I just came out hitting. I was like, all right, let's just introduce me. Here it is. No concept at all. Just I'm just playing my butt off, right? The second album was more of a hybrid between classical and jazz. The third record on Mac Avenue was, um, as my old manager told me, is more or less me hanging with the big dogs, like the older some some older guys who were you know just older than me. It was me showcasing that I could play with, you know, more people who were just who've been out here. The fourth record was my um, was reincarnation, and the last record was the Christmas record. Yeah. But reincarnation, you know, like I said, the prior three were pretty much straight ahead jazz. But I was like, I got to do something else. I was like, I got to do something that's like truly me. Like what I what do I really like to do? Because, you know, I, I like to entertain people. I want to make sure that they I mean, not that I can't entertain them playing straight ahead jazz, but I want to just add stuff that have a little bit more rhythm, a little yeah. bit more flavor to it. So um, I was like, let's take it back, you know, just play some 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 tunes with the beat a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh, I wanted to make a record kind of like what I thought Rory Ayers would make today, but just in Warren Wolf's mind. So one of the songs on there that I really liked um, that came out really well was For the Love of You. Now, that's not 90s, but that's, it's the Ozzy Brothers. <laughs> but it's still one of those popular tunes. I was like, yeah, let me go ahead and knock this out. I put a little spin on there. Yeah. Um, a couple of tunes on there. Um, like, for instance, there's a tune that I wrote for my vocalist. Her name is Imani Grace. The name of this tune is called uh, In the Heat of the Night. And when I first heard um, How Does It Feel by D'Angelo, yeah. 
I wanted to make a song that was exactly like that. Well, not exactly, but the same feel, you yeah. know. And I decided to put that slow three four beat, you know, boom, you know, that sexy groove on there. And you know, I wanted people to really kind of think about that song a little, or think about my song. You know, they might hear like, "Oh, this reminds me of D'Angelo." Right. You know, I wanted to put that feel on it. Um, you know, just I guess the whole point of that record record was to actually have people enjoy melodies yeah. you know the other three records i definitely had melodies on there but it was based around solos solo solo and that's the majority of jazz records you know it's like all right here's the melody i'm gonna solo 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 melody again mm-hmm. and i did that on that on this record too but it wasn't based around solos it was more like his here's the song okay when we go live when we play this record live we'll solo it then but I just want to get y'all to understand this, you know, the melody side of the record. Unfortunately, I never got a chance to tour anything about this record. I mean, I still I've done a little bit, but um, that record came out like right before COVID. Mm-hmm. And every date that I had was was canceled. <laughs> every single one of them. I mean, I mean, maybe an opportunity to do that uh that thing. Like I was listening to the um, this morning actually i was listening to i think the live version of the the am dawn weekend thing or what have you and i was like this is two albums on a tour and one of them was like a covid album i was like he was gonna get everything you get out of this album it's gonna happen yeah. and you know maybe there's an opportunity to do that because i would i would love to have that sort of vibe or what have you you know that 90s oh. vibe it, it still is because one of my good friends um he told me he said listen just because a record came out, mm-hmm. what was that two years ago when COVID happened? That doesn't necessarily mean it's old, because there's still there's too many people in this world who who don't know who you are. That record could still be brand new to others. It's just old to you because it's been two years. So I can still keep promoting that. And I can always bring it back on tour, and but also it just gives me more more music to play. Like currently, right now, I'm working on another record. Actually, it's not even current. The record is done. I just got to go ahead and just get it in production. Yeah. So I can combine both of these records when we go on tour, but like, okay, here's the fir- here's music from this record, Reincarnation, and here's rec- uh, music from the new record, which I'm titled Origins, yeah. you know? Like, and it's kind of like part two of Reincarnation. I just gave it a different title. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think you know what you're going to do. I mean, I just, I'm just waiting for it to happen. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just look, look for that at some point. I'm not in a rush to, to put this one out because... This it's kind of going back to what I was saying earlier with the whole marketing strategy. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to just put this out. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm actually figure out a, a good route to do that. It's a mix, and I was glad earlier that you you'd mentioned um, Beyonce because it's like I, I finally she doesn't even have to promote her stuff anymore. No, it's not like, at all. B is dropping. You don't even yeah. have to do that. It's just it's out. Like, yo, have you heard of Beyonce yet? New Beyonce, where? Yeah. And certain people have that power. You, I mean, certain people don't, they don't need to do, promote it. It's like her, I look at like Dave Matthews band, you know, it's, it's certain groups that they can just put a record out. It's like, all right, cool. It's here. You know? So and go, I'm, I'm detecting this, this theme and I've, and I've heard it throughout this conversation of sort of having this like diverse palette and I share this with you, this diverse palette of musical influences, musical tastes, things that you enjoy. Speak about the importance of like being able to diversify like what you're listening to and how that like impacts like your work. Man, I I think it just makes you a well-rounded artist. I try to listen to as much stuff as I can possibly just listen to. Um, 
again, I mean, from jazz to hip hop to R and B. Let me just look at my phone because I've been dilated. I was hanging. Matter of fact, the last studio session I had when I was working on this last record, um, I was hanging with, with another singer who was on the record. She made a special appearance. Her name was Allison Bortlemay, and we went to uh, school together at Berkeley. But she was introducing me to all of these uh, artists. Some of my students. Let's see, Wolf, Wolfpack and Wolf. I think that's how you say it. Um, uh, Seven Dust. I was. I mean, I've heard of some of music, but I would never think about buying that music. Seven Dust, Tool. Um, I was listening to John, some John Mayer. We went to school together. Um, it was John Mayer. Hold on, run that back. <laughs> yeah, John Mayer. We went to Berkeley together. Uh, Domi and JD Beck. I've been listening to them. It's just a lot of uh, different different people. Um, so I'm just looking through my list right now, just just seeing what comes to mind. Muse. That's another one. I like, uh, Muse. I like Muse. Yeah. Um. Oh man. But I think. I think yeah. that is like Rufus Del Rufus Del Sell. I think that's how you said it. But I I listen to all these different things and I just try to going back something to you said earlier, being uh, you know, what diversify, you know, certain things. I try to pull from all these different artists and just put them to myself. And I've yeah. always thought I've always thought about that. And I tell my students that same message message. I'm like, yeah, sometimes when you're young, you're gonna gravitate towards one person. But then eventually for me, I was like, in order for me to get better and grow in general, you know, and it's not even just music. I believe that way in life, too. You know, the more countries you visit and you get to experience different cultures, you see how people live, you try to bring them into your own. You know, I've, I've always been that way, you know. Very. Yeah, I, I, I think when you have a diverse set of interests, like in, in doing this, what have you, and, you know, we... we you know a Baltimore guy when you see a Baltimore guy, you know what I mean? And there's enough similarities there. And when I tell someone like, hey, I've been podcasting, I sound like this apparently because apparently I don't sound like I'm from Baltimore, which is <laughs> a little offended, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But it, it's it's interesting where you have these diverse interests and it makes you, I think, you're, you're able to cross over and be able to be in different conversations in different pockets. And even with the people that you talk to, you're like, oh, no, you know what you're talking about. How oh, yeah, I know about that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like out of sheer interest. So I think you're right when you're able to to travel, whether it be creatively, whether it be literally, you're able to experience different things or even, you know, something as simple as like what you choose to eat. You know, when I <laughs> talk with people, and it's like, yo, all I eat is the same thing. It's like, son, can you switch it up? A, just a skosh, just a little bit? Nah. <laughs> Chicken box. <laughs> yeah. So, yo, can you, can you get this <laughs> But no, you're totally right, man. You know, being a world traveler, I mean, that's a big one right there. You know, just like you said, for food, like, you know, I've eaten some some of the craziest foods that you can think of. I think about the many times I've been to Italy. I've had foods over there, but people over here you would never think about, you know. No. But it just it just I think it just opens your opens your mind up a little bit. So I got I got two more real questions for you, and then I got those rapid fire questions. Um, so here's the first one of those two last real ones. Uh, if you had the opportunity to change one thing about the music industry, let's say specifically your your slice of the industry, what would it be? If I could change, let's see, I would probably have a lot of uh, I'll answer that in two different ways. I wish I wish so jazz musicians wouldn't be so complicated. You know. I, I got to be honest. I, I wish it wouldn't be so complicated. Um, I mean, I enjoy it because I, because I play that stuff too. Right. But I, I like bringing it out, bringing it on home, just letting people have a good time. Um, but at the same time, I wish 
the entire world could actually see the beauty in jazz. Mm. Um, because there are some brilliant people in, in the style of music, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like I, people say sometimes, they, they'll be like, oh, uh, I'm just going to use Beyonce. <laughs> she, created, she created this record in two weeks. And people are like, oh, wow, that's great. And I'm looking like, I made a whole Christmas record in one day. <laughs> <laughs> Not even one day. Give me eight hours. Right. You know what I mean? But I, I wish people would embrace and see the beauty of, of this music. Um, because the, the creative process is, is really is really great. But, you know, I wish I, I think there can be a common balance. And I think there is because you have a lot of artists nowadays who are bridging that gap. I mean, if you, you look at the Grammys, you know, by itself right there this past year. Um, again, Robert Glasper winning best R&B record um, at the Grammys over Chris Brown. And he's a jazz artist. I've known Robert Glasper uh, since when, since we were 18 when he used to come to my school in Boston because he went to the new school in New York. He used to come up there and we used to just be playing straight straight to his jazz all the time. And he still does that. He's just not doing it on the main stage. You know what I mean? George Benson, he's been like that. He's a jazz artist, but he's been he made his money doing on Broadway <laughs> and this masquerade. Let's see, Esperanza Spalding, she's been doing a good job at that. Uh, Kristen Scott. And now we have the new uh, vocalist. Um, I think she won Record of the Year or something like that, or Artist of the Year. It was Samara Joy. Yeah. I just did, I just did some work for her. You know, she she got huge because she's a TikTok star. But we did a show up in New York at uh, 92Y. Fantastic voice. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we have a lot of artists in, in jazz that are, like, doing great things on a national stage. Um, I just wish, I, I hope that can continue for a lot of artists. That's all. I just hope we can all basically I'm hoping we can, we can all come together and work together. So th this this next and last question is very similar in that vein. So I think it's a good segue to it. You know, from a, a, a music and cultural preservation perspective, what does jazz mean for like us and, and for society at large? <laughs> I don't know what it means for society at large, but for me, it means creative, creative freedom. Um, yeah, creative freedom of creative ex expression um yeah it, it, it's it's everything you know but that can be argued for so much <laughs> I, I don't know creative expression that's the best way i can explain that i can say that i appreciate that answer um so you know as we get to this 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 portion this is the rapid fire portion mm -hmm. i got five questions yeah i got five questions for you one they're going to be goofy I'm just letting you know that's cool. uh, so here's the first one if you could only own one CD, so we're taking it to CDs. I didn't say a player was involved in it. If you can only own one CD, what would it be? Anita Baker, uh, uh, Rapture. Okay. Um, so I read that you're a gym rat, you're, and you're always listening to music. Uh, what songs or artists pair well with heavy lifting? I, I see a little muscle over there. I, I don't really like it in the screen. <laughs> No, it's definitely there. <laughs> I, I don't like it. I don't like it. It's, it's, it's a little intimidating. Uh, let's see. Uh, you want one answer or two for that? Uh, you know what? Dealer's choice. You know, give me two. Give me two. My sugar. Okay. Rock and roll group. Tupac. Okay. All right. Tupac is my favorite rapper ever. That's legit. Yeah. 
what is your favorite non-jazz song or recent uh, because it's it's hard to ask a favorite so if you don't have one um uh what's a like a a non-jazz song that you're listening to right now that you're like yeah this is hot i just slaps lady by d'angelo that's a good one right there uh so okay that was just off the top of my head no i i gotta ask you this one um what 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 is like your go to like snack or like lazy meal? You don't really even want to put the effort in. You're tired. You're beat. You're like, I need to eat something. You're just like hitting the peanut butter with like the protein powder. What are we doing? <laughs> Double stuff Oreo cookies. Come on, don't 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 say that. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> just more stuff. <laughs> yep. Double stuff Oreo cookies. Uh, um, vanilla. Not the chocolate. <laughs> we we call those light skin snacks, by the way. <laughs> we call those mimosas and white cheddar cheese. White cheddar cheese is light skin snacks. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. If, I'm traveling, if I'm it, that's that's at home. Okay. If I'm traveling, you're bound to see me with some Twizzlers. See, Twizzlers, okay. I, I can I can hear you on the Twizzlers. I'm I you know, I'll I'll go with the, the Oreos, the light skin Oreos a little bit, but Twizzlers, I don't I don't know, my G. I don't know. It keeps me going. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, like, I, like I, I do this fake, and this maybe comes from my dad. This fake trail mix thing, where it's just like, yo, I got some regular like peanut M and M's, and then it's like, oh, let me get these cashews, let me get these almonds. And I'm like, all right, I got once upon a pound, I would do that, but not right now, <laughs> not these days. Uh, this is the last one I got for you. If you um, weren't in, if you weren't a musician, or or had any of the opportunities that were connected to being a musician what would you be? What would your like occupation be? Well, I kind of said earlier it would have been a NASA or, or working for a fire department, but um, honestly, um, FBI. All right. I'll take it. Yep. <laughs> so um, one, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. This is, this is great. It's a great way to wrap up a Friday. Um, and, and two, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the listeners, this is that part where you do the, the Beyonce promotion thing. Uh, tell the listeners where they can check you out, check out your work, um, you know, check out your, you check out your albums, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Thank you so much for, for having me on the podcast. I had a great time. Everybody, if you're looking, please, if you're looking for me, if you want to find more information, tours, everything, uh, please visit warrenwolfmusic.com. And if you need to follow me on any of the handles, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, just look for warrenwolf1. And wolf is spelled with no E, W-A-R-R-E-N-W-O-L-F, number one. Warrenwolf1, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. You can even go back. now. you can't go back to MySpace, but, you know, you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like they don't do the Wayback Machine thing. It's like, yeah, I found him. Exactly. <laughs> it says Wolfman 1. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about this. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Warren Wolf Jagger for coming on to the podcast. It's, it's great saying that name. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art and culture in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. 